Um, so we're going to transition into our teaching time, and we have a guest speaker here with us today. Pastor Aaron wanted to introduce him, um, even though he's not here today. He's actually preaching at Trinity West Seattle. So we're actually going to put up a video of Pastor Aaron, and he's going to introduce you to Dimitri. Thank you, Digital Aaron, <laughs> wherever you are. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Hey, Sound City Bible Church, it's good to be with you this morning. Uh, as Pastor Aaron mentioned, my name is Dimitri, and uh, it's a joy and honor just to be here. I'm grateful to be able to, to share God's word with you. We're going to be in the book of Proverbs, continuing uh, the sermon series in the book of Proverbs. And if you've been around here for a while, you've probably uh, been learning several different themes within the book of Proverbs. And Basically, the book of Proverbs is uh, a book that has been given to God's people to instill wisdom into the heart of God's people. And so we'll look at that here in, in a moment. But a little bit about myself. I, I'm 29 years old. Uh, I from, I'm from a tiny country between Romania and Ukraine called Moldova. It's literally the size of our state. Uh, and uh, my family and I, we immigrated to the States in 94, February of 94, and uh, and so there's a picture of my family uh, today. That's from uh, last year. That's my beautiful wife, Mary. And we have three boys under the age of five. That's Jonathan and then Judah and James. Uh, the J names have no real significance other than we were just lazy in naming our children. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so pray for us, will you? Kids are a massive blessing, but they're a lot of work, as many parents in this room might know. And so thank you so much uh, and, uh, for having us. I'm, I'm grateful to be able to share with you. So before we get into it, let me just pray for our time together. Would you join me? Father God, we thank you for your goodness and your grace toward us. We thank you that you are the creator, the author, and sustainer of all things. We thank you for your son Jesus through whom we have forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with God and because of his work on the cross we can experience freedom from the enemies of sin, Satan and death. Holy Spirit, we ask that as we look at your word in Proverbs chapter 29 may you illuminate our eyes, may you give us the light to ponder the paths of our feet. We pray that you would help us apply your word to our hearts and our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So I was, well, before I actually begin, I just want to make two brief apologies. One, if you're, if you're used to Pastor Aaron preaching, most of you will probably know that he preaches at about 1.5 speed of the normal human voice. And so, <laughs> if at all you experience uh, you know, some bit of drowsiness in terms of just experiencing the slow motionness of the sermon, I apologize. The other apology I wanna say, share is that I'm a sci-fi fan, I love science fiction, and so I'm gonna make a number of references in the sermon to science fiction, and if you're not, uh, apologies, sorry. If you want to chat with me, I'd love to explain those references to you after the sermon. But anyways, I was recently re-watching a show on Netflix called Black Mirror. It's a, it's a science fiction show that basically examines the negative consequences that technology has on our society. And in this episode that I was re-watching, uh, society is in such a state where through, you know, the technologies of social media and mobile devices and, and just the interwebs, uh, 
Everyone is socially connected, and in this context, it's like Facebook and Instagram and Yelp have a meeting together, right? And, I mean, this would never happen in real life, but they lose their minds and they take over the world, okay? And they basically create Skynet, okay? (laughs) And basically, in this society, you're able to take all of your daily experiences, activities, interactions with others, and immediately upload those to the social media platform of the day, but you're also able to rate everyone else's experiences, activities, daily interactions on a one to five star scale. Not only are you able to do that, everyone else's rating of your digital life, your perceived social life, rolls up into an average single digit on a screen that determines your socioeconomic status. So just think about that for a moment. Your reputation, your utility, your socioeconomic status, your worth, your very value as a human being is determined and confined to a single digit number on a screen that you have no control over. It's determined by everybody else's opinion of you. Now in this society, the main character in this episode, her name is Lacey, and she spends the entire episode striving to gain the approval of other people. I mean, she toils hard. I mean, and, and she, she does certain things to, to utter ridiculous lengths to try to gain a positive opinion of other people. I mean, she, things like she'll wake up in the morning, then she's brushing her teeth, and all of a sudden she'll stop, she'll look in the mirror, and then she'll just bust out in hysterical laughter. She's rehearsing her laugh before she goes into public society. Just so you know, that's weird. Okay, so if you rehearse your laugh... We have some problems, okay? Another incident, she's at, she's at her work office and she, she buys like this artistically perfected, Pinterest-worthy uh, latte, right? She puts it on her desk, takes a bite of her snickerdoodle cookie, sets it down very neatly next to the coffee and, you know, takes a picture of that wonderful, perfect coffee experience and uploads it to Skynet. And then all of a sudden, uh, she gets instant approval ratings, Right? Five star, five star, she feels good, ego boost, self-esteem skyrocketing. And then she spits the cookie out. She doesn't even enjoy the cookie. And, and, and there was one scene in this episode that I'll never forget. She's at home and she's cooking dinner and it's like this, you know, it's this fake meal and she would never in a million years eat this meal had it not been for the efforts of trying to gain the approval of other people. You know, it's this like, you know, vegan, gluten-free carb-free, sugar-free, taste-free <laughs> meal. And during her preparation of this meal, she gets a FaceTime call from her childhood best friend. Her name is Naomi. And she's like a 4.8 in this society. Wealth, affluence, influence, popularity, social uh, acceptance. Uh, she's got it all. And Lacey, as this call is incoming, freaks out. She freaks out. She, she fumbles and spills the ingredients all over herself. She ends up looking like 
my two-year-old James after dinner and ice cream in a high chair. And then after she's, she, she panics, so she freaks out, so she takes like a, like a bed sheet or something and drapes it over herself, trying to make some kind of exquisite fashion statement. And then she answers the call. And what transpires in the call is probably the most cringeworthy, fake interaction I've ever observed. And I asked myself this question. What is Lacey doing? Why is she living like this? And the answer that I've come to is that she's living out what the Bible calls the fear of man. Now what exactly is the fear of man? In our modern day context, some of euphemisms that we use for the fear of man are things like people-pleasing, Uh, elevating the opinion of other people more highly than we ought to, or in essence, it's living for the approval of others. That is the essential problem of the fear of man. Now, I do want to make a a bit of a, a distinction here. Wanting the approval of others isn't in and of itself a bad thing. You know, as human beings, we want to be affirmed. We want to be accepted. We want to be liked. We want to be loved. You know, secular psychologists today say that it is a basic human need to be loved and accepted and affirmed. So that's not the problem. The problem is that when we elevate our need for the approval of other people over our need for God and his approval, of us. That is the problem of the fear of man. And we find the fear of man in our text today. So if you have a Bible uh, or a fake Bible app, open your uh, Bibles to Proverbs 29 25. I'd like to read this verse for us as we begin our time. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. There are two things that I want us to examine in this single verse. And the first one is this. Here's the first point. The fear of man destroys our faith. Notice that in the first portion of our verse, it says the fear of man lays a snare. This word snare actually carries with it this connotation of, you know, like a bird trapped in a a, a bird trap. And you know, as I was researching this, you know, you uncover basically common sense stuff where bird catchers or bird hunters would ensnare the birds by baiting them with basic needs that they have, things like food and water. And so notice that the fear of man is a snare because it uses our basic need for approval, but that leads us into a trap. Now, I think it's logical for us to ask the question, well, how is the fear of man a snare. How is it a snare? I want to I bring before you three ways that the fear of man is a snare. Here's the first one. The fear of man is a snare because it produces ungodly fear. Have you ever had a moment here, if you're a Christian, where uh, you're in maybe a work environment or you're in a social setting and all of a sudden uh, your Christian faith is brought into question? And then you have this opportunity to reveal yourself as a Christian, but you don't. How about this? How about 
Have you ever had a situation where you're going into a meeting with someone and you know that you want to bring up something very difficult, something, something uh, maybe that hurt you or something that they did that, that needs to be brought to light, but you don't bring it up? What is that? That's ungodly fear. Or how about this? Maybe you've sinned against someone. Maybe you've committed something that wronged someone, that hurt someone. And you know, you know, God the Holy Spirit's working in your heart and inviting you to confess that and bring it to light. And you don't. That's ungodly fear. You see, the fear of man is a snare because it turns us into cowards. That tension where you're in that moment, in that circumstance, and you feel the weight. You know you need to speak what's truthful. You know you need to do what's right. You know you need to reveal what's true. And you don't. That tension, it feels like a trap. Because it is a trap. How else is the fear of man a snare? The fear of man is a snare because it produces insecurity in us. See, I I call this the snare of comparison. You know, as human beings, we compare all kinds of things. We compare the, the clothes we wear, the food we eat, the vacations we take, the houses we own, the cars we drive. And the, the snare of comparison, it doesn't, it doesn't just stick around for a phase or, or a dark season. It follows us throughout the course of our life. When we're young and single, we compare career choices and dreams and ambitions and education choices. When we get married... We compare our marriages, the quality of our happiness and lifestyle. When we have children, we compare our disciplinary strategies. Do we spank? Are we going to spank? Do they spank? How dare they spank? We compare all these things. And don't even get me started on mommy wars, okay? But what does that snare of comparison lead us to? It leads us to two results. It leads us to either pride or despair. You see, when we compare ourselves to other people and how they're living, if we're doing well, it leads us to pride because we we feel superior to others around us. But if we don't add up, if we're not meeting other people's expectations, if we're not meeting our own expectations, we despair This endless cycle of pride and despair. Pride and despair. C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. It is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. You struggle with that? It feels exhausting, doesn't it? That cycle of continual comparison. The reason why it's exhausting is because it's a trap. You feel trapped. The last way that the fear of man is a snare is because it produces superficial relationships. Let me ask you this question. What happens when we fear others in our relationships? We hide Maybe you've experienced something like this. Maybe you've refused to share something with someone or reveal something about yourself with someone because you're afraid of being judged. Maybe you're afraid of being rejected. Maybe you're afraid of being ostracized.
You see, there was a time in my relationship with my wife uh, earlier on when we, when we were engaged, I held some things back from her uh, that I shouldn't have held back. Certain th- struggles and, and sins in my past that I refused to, to be vulnerable with her in uh, pre-engagement. And then when we got engaged, I brought them out. And what that did to our relationship was it, was it broke trust in our relationship. That then I had to repent of those things. I had to uh, look for reconciliation. We had to work things out. And thankfully we had uh, brothers and sisters in Christ who walked alongside us in that moment and in that season. But let me tell you what that led to. See, when we fear others in our relationship and we hide, we refuse to be transparent and vulnerable. And it leads to distance and distrust. Distrust because we're afraid of being rejected, so we put on a facade, right? We give them what they should see, the veneer. And distance, we hide. We, we aren't known. And let me ask you this question. How on earth do we expect to be truly loved without being fully known? You see, friends, the fear of man is a snare because it produces ungodly fear. It turns us into cowards. We, we don't speak the truth. We don't reveal the truth when we ought to. It produces insecurities in us, continual cycle of pride and despair, constantly comparing ourselves to the lives of others and dealing with discontentment or pride. And it inevitably poisons our relationships. So, so let me do some, let's do some self-evaluation here, Okay. Um, Ed Welsh in his book, When People Are Big and God Is Small, uh, he has 14 questions about the fear of man. And we're not gonna go through all 14 questions, but I've provided them to Hannah and the team to share with you all throughout the course of the week in your small group time uh, where you can work through these questions and do some self-evaluation. Am I struggling with the fear of man? Is this, is this an area where, where God's bringing to light and, and I need to confess and repent? and so forth, but I do want to share the three top questions that have impacted me personally, and my hope is that as I, as I work through these questions, that you would do some self-evaluation and maybe ask God, hey, God, is this, is, am I struggling with this? Is this me? Is this an issue or an area of weakness for me? How do, I, how do I break free from this? So here's the first one. Are you overcommitted? Do you find it hard to say no when wisdom indicates that you should? You are a people pleaser, another euphemism for the fear of man. See, I do this all the time. What I do is I want to be the savior complex to a lot of people, and so what I do is I say, yes, yes, yes. Oh, you need help there? Yes. Oh, you want me to do that? Yes. Oh, hey, you want me to take care of this? Yes. And then what ends up happening is (laughs) I either burn out or two, I still fail on those commitments, and it still leads me to the very thing that I'm afraid of, which is rejection, okay? Here's the second question. Do you ever lie, especially the little white lies? What about cover-ups where you know, you're not technically lying with your mouth? Lying and other forms of living in the dark are usually ways to make ourselves look better before people, writes Ed Welsh. You know, never in the history of humankind has someone been more wrongly accused than traffic. And let me explain why. When you wake up in the morning and you're running late to a meeting or you're running late to work, and that person texts you, where are you at, bro? Hey, what's going on? Why are you late to work? Why are you late to my meet with this meeting we planned? What's going on? Answer, traffic. 
right? What you don't want to say is, hey, listen, I stayed up way too late. I woke up missing my alarm clock. I just want you to know I'm irresponsible, and uh, I'm not really a dependable worker. Uh, but listen, I just, I, just wanted to, I just wanted to share that, say that. Well, you don't do that. Why? Because you want to place yourself in a, in a light that is positive, right? Self-preservation. When we refuse to be honest with others, it's an indication that we're living in the fear of man. And last question, do you ever feel as if you might be exposed as an imposter? The sense of being exposed is an expression of the fear of man. Let me just say this, okay? Because maybe it's, it's obvious to you, maybe it's not. If this is you, let me just state the obvious. God already knows everything. And there's nothing that you can hide from him, and there's nothing that he is already unwilling to forgive. You see, God not only knows you, but he loves you too much to leave you in the snare of the fear of man. And he wants to draw you out to walk in the light so that he can cleanse you and change you and transform you into the image of his son Jesus. So what is the end result of the fear of man, friends? It leads to destruction. It leads us to destruction. Do you guys remember Lacey in our story? Well, when she got that phone call as she was cooking that fake meal, her friend, who's like a 4.8 in society, remember, she invited her to attend her wedding and to give the maid of honor speech. Okay, you gotta understand this. This is the moment of victory. This is the, the opportunity of a lifetime for Lacey. Imagine, she goes to this wedding, she does the speech. She gains approval from like all these 4.8s, 4.9s in society. It skyrockets her rating. And then she can afford that high-end apartment that she wants to buy and, and live in on Beverly Hills or whatever, right? And so she's like, this is it. This is the moment of victory. And as you can imagine, things do not go as planned. She wakes up in the morning. She's late to, to catch her cab. She's like fumbling with her things. She's walking out. She bumps into a, 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 a passerby who's walking their dog, spills coffee all over them, right? They're like, oh, what, the, what, what is this? Rates her down, right? Starts off on a, on a wrong foot, right? She, she gets, finally gets into a cab, gets in, into the airport, and she cuts everyone in line who's standing at the terminal. And she gets to the front of the counter to talk with the flight attendant or the customer service rep. And as you can imagine, the flight is canceled, and at this moment, you know, I'm like, oh, the tension is brewing, right? Things are bubbling up. Like, what, how is this going to end? What's going to happen? And you could feel the emotions, the tension. Like, she's trying to hold it together, trying to keep the facade intact. She gets kicked out of the airport by security. She gets docked two full points. She goes from like a 4.6 to like a 2.6. Everybody in the line who she cut in front of rates her down as she's walking out. And she, she tries to hitchhike to the wedding. And as she's in the process of hitchhiking to the wedding, Naomi calls her. And remember, this, your, your rating is public information. And she calls her and she says, how are you a 2-6? Lacey, what happened? What did you do? Listen, I can't have a 2-6 cramp my style. Can't have a 2-6 at my wedding. I'm sorry. My ratings are too precious to me. I'll find someone else. Don't worry about it. And so in this moment, you're like, okay, what's, 
what's going to happen next. Well, Lacey makes it to this wedding, but not at all as you would expect. She ends up hitchhiking to the wedding, and at some point she crawls through like a swamp to get to this wedding reception, and she shows up to this wedding reception, and everybody's looking amazing. Everybody's got their, their, their best on. Everybody's wearing white. Everybody's looking beautiful, just beautiful reception. And she comes in, and she's covered in mud. Her gown's like torn up. She, her face is just you know, streaming with makeup because she's been bawling as she's been getting there. And she gets into the reception hall, and Lord forbid, she gets a hold of a mic. Okay, just so you know, if you're having a mental breakdown, you don't want to have the mic, okay? And she gets a hold of the mic, and then what ends up happening is I witness the most epic rant meltdown ever. You know, she's like fumbling through words, trying to recall. Everybody's looking at her like, what is happening? Like, you know, somebody walks in and disturbs a social setting. You're wondering like, what is happening, right? There's this commotion. And she's just fumbling through words. At some point, she just stops and starts weeping into the mic. And then I remember the climactic scene of this episode is the camera is zooming out. She's standing there weeping in the mic. And all you hear in the background is everybody else's ringtones rating her down and down and down and down until she hits zero. You know, the episode is titled Nosedive for a reason. Now, here's my question. Is this how God intended us to live? Is that what God wants for us? No. What do we need, friends, to be free from the fear of man. What do we need? We need freedom. But how do we become free? So let me be, let me be clear about something here. Fearing man does not mean for us, in order for us to be freed from it, that we do the opposite of fearing man, which is hating man. Right? We're, not, we're not called to do the opposite. Scripture calls us to love others, to honor them, to respect them, to, to love them, We're not called to hate others. But I want to put this before you. There's a type of fear that leads to freedom. There's a type of fear that leads to freedom. And as you probably guessed it, it's the fear of the Lord. This brings us to the second point of Proverbs 29.25. And that is this. Remember, the first point is the fear of man destroys our faith. The second point is the fear of the Lord builds us up in faith. Look at the second half of our verse. It says, whoever trusts in the Lord, whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. You know, the fear of the Lord is often described by theologians as a reverent awe or respect or honor of God. But see, there's a a component of the fear of the Lord that's oftentimes neglected, and that is this, trust. Here's my question. Do you trust God? Is he trustworthy in your life? The fear of the Lord is not only reverent awe or honor or praise or worship or submission to God. It is trust in God. 
That word trust, it literally means to be confident or unsuspecting of something. Now, I imagine most of you here, you're going to leave after the service. Maybe you're going to go out into the foyer area, you know, have a little uh, conversation with a few people. Hopefully, I get to meet you and interact with you. But after that, you're going to go into your car. You're going to sit down. You're going to turn on your car, and you're going to drive to your next uh, thing. Completely unsuspecting of the fact that your car is going to start and it's going to work. Am I correct? That is what this word trust is referring to. That you are so trusting in God that you're unsuspecting of his goodness, faithfulness, and love toward you. It's the same word that shows up in Proverbs 14, 26. It says, in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. That word confidence in 1426 and trust in our text today is the same word. You don't give a second thought about how God is going to come through in your life. That word safe here means to be high, to be elevated, as in a place of refuge. Proverbs 1810 even has this idea where it says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower, a strong tower of refuge to those who trust in him. It says, the righteous man runs into it and is safe. Imagine yourself in this situation for a second. You're in a dark forest. It's late at night. Maybe you're in the upside down room from Stranger Things, okay? And you got the Demogorgon at your back. And you're running, and you don't know where you're running, but you're running because you know that monster's gonna get you and eat you alive. And you're running away, and you're running, and what's happening? You're hearing the leaves rustling behind you. You're hearing the growls become louder and louder, and your, your, your chest is pumping. Your blood is running through your veins, and your, your, your adrenaline is kicked in, and you're running. You're like, Lord, what's going to happen? Am I going to die? And all of a sudden, you get to the end of the forest, and it becomes clear, and all of a sudden, dead ahead is a castle, unoccupied, ready for you to go in and occupy it. And you go in, and you lock the doors behind you, and the walls are like three, four feet thick, You climb to the very top of this tower and you look down over the enemy and you see that the enemy cannot get you. And then you turn back around and you sit down and you sigh a breath of relief. That is what trusting in the Lord feels like. That is the safety that I'm referring to here. But how does the fear of the Lord lead us to safety? Let me bring to you kind of a juxtaposition to what the fear of man leads us to. Okay, in comparison to the fear of man, the fear of the Lord leads us to safety by cultivating courage. Luke 12, 4 through 12, Jesus says, Do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. Listen, trusting in the Lord, fearing the Lord, it produces courage in you. So when you trust the Lord, you're not afraid of what man can do to you. You're not afraid to speak the truth. You're not afraid to confess your sin. You're not afraid to walk in the light. You're not afraid to be known because you know whose you are. And so you trust the Lord. How else does the fear of the Lord lead us to safety? It leads us to safety by cultivating security. No longer this endless cycle of comparison, of of pride and despair, of discontentment, of grumbling, of, of constantly not having enough, constantly dissatisfied with life. No, You trust in the Lord as your provider, as your sustainer, as the one who will come through because he's good. Fearing the Lord leads us to safety because it leads us to abandon the anxieties of our life. 
How else is the fear of the Lord? How does it lead us to safety? It leads us to safety by cultivating intimacy. You are known by God and you are known by others. Here's a summary, friends. The fear of the Lord leads us to safety by making us courageous in speaking the truth, by making us secure in God's care for us, freeing us from the snare of comparison, and by drawing us near to God himself in close relationship. All of this builds our faith. Can I get an amen on that? But here is the, here's the reality, friends. We will never be free to fear the Lord unless someone frees us from the fear of man. See, here's the reality. All I've given you up to this point in the, in the sermon is I've given you things you shouldn't do and things you should do. And that is not the heart of the Christian faith. You see, you on your own, me on my own, we will never be able to trust God and fear him the way that he ought to be unless someone frees us to do so. In Psalm 25, 14, it says this, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant. The word covenant carries with this idea of promise. You see, the story of the Bible from beginning to end is in one sense, God making a promise to his people, a promise to right what was wronged, to renew what was broken, to restore what was lost, and to set free those who have been in captivity. And he does that through the person and work of Jesus Christ. See, what is the good news of Jesus Christ? When Christ entered into human history as the God-man, God become flesh, he lived a perfect sinless life. He lived the perfect, obedient, fully trusting the Lord and fearing the Lord completely, perfectly on our behalf. And so when he went to the cross to die in our place for our sin, what theologians describe as the great exchange He died as our substitute, and so he died killing the fear of man. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your fear of man, for my fear of man. And in that moment, we received his perfect, sinless, obedient, and fully trusting the Lord life. You know, The book of Isaiah says this about Jesus. In Isaiah 53, it says, he was despised and rejected by men. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Not only did he take on our sin, but he endured the very consequences of the fear of man that you and I are so desperately afraid of. You afraid of rejection? You afraid of criticism? You afraid of suffering? Are you afraid of uh, ostracism? Are you afraid? Be at peace because Christ endured everything. And then three days later, Christ rose from the grave, confirming our liberty from the fear of man. Christian, you are free. 
You are free to be courageous and speak the truth. You are free from anxiety and the cares of this world. You are free to be transparent and vulnerable with others by confessing sin. You are free. How can we practically experience freedom? Let me leave you with with, with a couple points of application and then I'll share a, a brief personal story with you and then we'll pray. Here's how you can practically experience freedom from the fear of man. The first thing that you can do is you can realize. You can identify the fear of man in your life. You know, this week when you look at those 14 questions, when when you participate in discussion with your group, ask yourself these questions. And ask God, the Holy Spirit, to illuminate your eyes, illuminate your heart, to reveal to you how you've been living in the fear of man. The second thing that you can do is you can repent. Listen, repentance is a change of mind, a change of heart, and a change of behavior. It's giving God your sin and living by faith because of the righteousness he's provided for you in Christ. The third one is replace. In those moments, in those circumstances of temptation and struggle with the fear of man, you can say no because of what Christ has done for you. You are already free because of Jesus. And you can replace the fear of man by trusting God and his work for you. You know, I grew up in the Christian faith. Uh, my parents were uh, from a Slavic Pentecostal background. Don't, don't get me started on, on uh, talking about what all that means and, and all that stuff. But just know it was whack, all right? And, uh, and uh, uh, I grew up in that context as a non-Christian. And, uh, you know, living this religious shell of a life on the outside uh, created in me this cognitive emotional dissonance where I was painting a picture of myself on Sunday in one way and then I was living the remainder of my life completely differently. And what that led me was this deep sense of struggle between hypocrisy in my own life. Like, like I, why am I doing this religious thing? Why am I, why am I showing up to church on Sunday? Why am, I, why am I going to these things if I really don't even care? Like, why am I doing it? What that led was to, to a life, uh, a duplicitous life. I was going to church on Sunday, and then throughout the week, I was smoking weed. I was addicted to pornography since the age of 12. I was sleeping around. I was doing whatever I wanted to do with my life, throwing some religion on top of that, a shell of a life. And you know what? It led me to rock bottom like Lacey. Uh, it led me to a place where I needed to be exposed. I needed God to intervene. And thankfully, by his miraculous grace, he did. He saved me. He placed people in my life that got to know the real me. The hidden in the closet, looking at porn me. The angry, discontented, grumbling, never satisfied with life me. The constantly bickering, constantly struggling and toiling with the shame and guilt of sin me. And they loved me. And they demonstrated the love of God to me. They were gracious toward me. 
And I'll tell you what, friends, God used that to, to do a work in my life, to bring me into the fold and into the family of God and to transform me from the inside out. You see, it may take for you to absolutely hit rock bottom like Lacey did in order for the Lord to begin a work in you. It may take months, years, decades until you're so exhausted with the facade that God utterly intervenes and transforms. See, friends, here is the big idea. Because of Jesus, we can be free from the fear of man and live in the fear of the Lord. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you've provided a way for us to be reconciled to you, to experience freedom, to experience close friendship and relationship with you because of Christ. And we thank you, Jesus, that you took on our fear of man. You saw our helpless condition and you decided to intervene and to save and to free. And Lord, we pray that as we conclude our time, as we go from this place in in the days ahead and the weeks ahead, that you, Holy Spirit, would work in us, convict us, comfort us, lead us into the light, and help us find freedom that is only available in Christ. In your precious name we pray, amen.